say welcome today. This is the best of Fridays. It's a great day to be together, no matter how we come, whether we're full of sadness and grief or whether we're full of joy. Uh, It's one of the few chances in the year that our whole church family comes together as one group, and I think that's a terrific thing. And it's wonderful that so many from the community have also uh, joined with us today, some from other churches, some who don't normally go to church regularly. We're really glad you're here today. But it's not just a great day because we're here together. Uh, It's a great day because of why we're together, because of what this day means. It's Good Friday. Now, as I said, for many in our community, that just means a public holiday, you know, woohoo, a short week, a chance to get some a sleep in or to get away. Uh, it also means good food. Uh, breakfast this morning, anyone else have hot cross buns for breakfast this morning? Uh, my wife generally makes on Easter Sunday uh, for breakfast, uh, Jesus is a life cake. Um, <laughs> uh, lots and lots of chocolate. Our kids have come home from Easter hunt at school and more and more chocolate. Last week they went to a party and they came home with a, a, a giveaway bag with lollies this big. Um, the walls are, you know, shaking from all the sugar. Uh, yeah, great things. There's lots of things on. There's uh, Easter shows, if you can be bothered to go into that, uh, and if you're rich enough to go to that these days. <laughs> but... The best part of the celebration is what it's really all about, the best news ever, and what Christianity is all about. So what is it, Eel? What what is Christianity at its heart? The cynics might say that it's all about power and institutions and money. And I reckon in some places they might be right. There is corruption in the church as there is in any human institution. Now, that's not that surprising given that the Bible says we're all sinners Uh, of course, there's going to be corruption. Some people say that Christianity's heart is about spirituality, by which they mean something like, they mean it's about being in touch with yourself. It's an emotional wholeness or something vague like that. Some people say that Christianity at its heart is about morality, about the Ten Commandments and so on. Not that anyone can remember what all ten are most of the time. They just know that, that we're supposed to keep them. Some people say that Christianity is about politics, that the church's primary concern should be to be a political lobby group lobbying on social issues. Some people say that Christianity is really just about tradition and history. You know, it's had its day, but the churches and the things that it's established are valuable as society's relics and memories. And and, and so it's useful as a calming reminder of the olden days. And it's really only people who are still relics themselves who get into it. Just look around the room if you want some... Anyway. <laughs> so some of, there's some of the views about Christianity, that it's about power, that it's about spirituality, that it's about morality, that it's about politics, that it's about tradition and history. Well, are they right? Certainly there are spiritual, moral, political, traditional and even powerful aspects to Christianity. But we want to be clear this morning that none of those things are at the centre of Christianity, at its heart. And Good Friday is the thing that proves it. The heart of Christianity is a relationship, a new relationship with the Lord of the universe, a new relationship which he offers that goes beyond the life, beyond this life into eternity, a new relationship that's, that's based on forgiveness and mercy from his side and that's based on trust and repentance from our side. 
Because you see, and we've been working through a number of Jesus is uh, things the last few weeks. Jesus is, we're here today, Jesus is the friend of sinners. That's who he is. He's the friend of sinners. We're sinners who've let God down and we need a friend who can deal with us in a way other than that which we deserve. We need an advocate. We need a support. We need a saviour. We need him. And I want to show you that as we look at the events of Good Friday, that best of all Fridays, uh, from a biography uh, of Jesus written by uh, this man Luke, a Dr. Luke. Uh, The passage is in our handout. It was read for us. And I want to show it to you by focusing on three characters in the story. Three characters. Of all the characters in this gruesome scene, and it is a gruesome scene, there's rulers, there's soldiers, there's onlookers, there's women. But it's the three people who died that day on the top of the hill that I want to focus our attention on. Three men died. All of them executed. Jesus and two other men all put to death in one of the most barbaric ways uh, of all of human history, reserved for only the worst of criminals, hung, nailed on crosses to die, all tried, all found guilty. But the three are about as different from each other as you can imagine. Now, at first glance, the two criminals don't seem to be that different to each other. Uh, Both are suffering the pain of crucifixion. Both of them are guilty of crime. We find out in the other biographies it is, the other Gospels, that they're both thieves. Uh, Both of them see Jesus and the sign that's above his head, uh, King of the Jews. They both hear the words from Jesus' mouth, Father, forgive them. And both these thieves want desperately to be saved from death. They don't want to be there. And why would they? Of course they don't want to be there. And I think most of us all have those things in common with both of them. There has been, there is, or there will be suffering in our lives, even great suffering. And none of us can say categorically, I don't deserve this. Most of us have seen Jesus on the cross and heard his claim to kingship. We've heard even his gracious words of forgiveness. And I think all of us, don't we, want to be saved from death one way or the other. But it's the differences between the men that really stand out. The differences are as stark as day is from night. And and I just want to spend a few moments showing you some of the differences. And I think I can see seven there. Uh, Only one of them mocked Jesus. The crowds were booing. The soldiers threw in their two cents worth. But only one of the criminals who hung there was abusing Jesus. And I don't know if you can imagine the situation. He's there heaping insults on someone who's dying with him. Imagine the hardness of the man. He's dying. He's about to breathe his last breath. And with these last precious moments of life, what does he do with them? He slags off the man beside him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was going to die tonight, I wouldn't waste the day insulting my neighbours. I can do that the other days. (laughs) I'd want to be talking to those who are closest to him. Uh, set things right, tell my family, tell Alison, you know, that I love them. But this man, no apologies to his family, not a shred of remorse, just abuse. And you can hear the sneer in his voice as he yells, aren't you supposed to be the Christ? You know, rescue yourself and us. 
Oh, he wants out of there. He doesn't want to die. But his request to Jesus isn't a real one. He's not somehow thinking, well, maybe you are the king. And I'm really, really sorry that I've just insulted you. Uh, If you're able, can you get us down from here? It's not like that. It's just part of his mockery. But notice the other thief, the one that Luke wants us to be like. First difference, he's not taken in by the other guy who's ranting and raving and carrying on. He didn't join in with the mockery. Very easy when people are standing around having coffee at work, whinging about management or policy to just join in with the crowd, right? To join in so you don't stand out, uh, you don't want to be noticed, got to keep your head down. But the second thief doesn't join in. In fact, he steps up and he defends Jesus. And if we're to follow his example, the time's going to come when we might have to stand our ground and not be sucked in by the people around who mock Jesus and God. What did the second man do? He turned to his partner in crime. I presume they were partners in crime. Further away down, uh, uh, verse 40, and he responded with a rebuke. Have you no fear of God? Don't you fear God? And that's the second big difference between the men. The penitent thief, he feared God. God was real to him. God was his creator. He knew that in his death he'd come face to face with his maker. And he knew that was something to fear. There'd be no arguing his way out of this one. No excuses, no defence. And I think he's right to fear because there's a reckoning to be had with God. It may have fallen out of fashion to talk about it, but we shouldn't avoid it because it's uncomfortable. Over again in Scripture, we find this terrible indictment on us, on all humanity, on me, on you, on the Australian cricket team, and that's been proven this week. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, that might not sound so bad, but we're told again and again that we'll have to give an account before God because of it for our lives, for all of our actions, for all of our thoughts, whether they're good or evil, for every idle word, for every idle thought, Jesus says. Every white lie counts against us. Uh, and, and it's just what we do. We, we can't help ourselves. I mean, you go out to everyone this morning and say, how you going? They'll say, good. And I can tell you, I look around this group, And I know they're not going good. (laughs) Not necessarily because of evil in their lives, but it's been a terrible week. All right? It sucks. Um, And I don't know if you've ever tried to go for even a whole week without doing anything wrong. You thought, no, this week, nothing bad out of my mouth, no unclean thought, no looking at the women lustfully. No, 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 no. You know, ever tried to go a whole week without doing anything wrong, without sitting? It's impossible. Uh, a friend of mine who's a minister uh, was once approached by a man after church. It was a sermon on sin. Uh, that's surprising, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> he said, I disagree. I disagree that we're that bad. I, I actually think we can live perfectly if we really want to, if we really tried hard. And so my friend challenged him to do a test. He said, okay, well, go for a week doing nothing at all wrong. Okay, come back and tell me. He came back next week. He said, how'd you go? He said, Got in a fight with the wife. <laughs> said, all right, I'll give it another go. Give it another go. Try. All right, second chance. All right, you're away, you're away from business this week. You won't be home with the wife. Uh, so don't mark up. But, you know, try and go a whole week 
he came back, uh, um, said I couldn't do it. I'm gonna, but this week, third week, uh, I said, I, I'll make it easier on you. Just go for a whole week without telling a single lie. There you go. Don't worry about the rest of the stuff. Just go a whole week without telling a single lie, not even a white one. He went away, came back the next week. How'd you go, friend? He said, it's not fair. Why is it not fair? Why is it you can't go for a week without telling a lie? He said, I'm a real estate agent. <laughs> but it's a simple example, isn't it? But you see, the scriptures rightly say, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and we all do it. We, let it we, we fail to meet our own standards, let alone God's standards. I mean, I don't know what Steve Smith's thinking this week and um, Bancroft and um, the idiot opener. Uh, I can't even think he's David Warner. Uh, Alan Jones was trying to excuse them, saying, oh, give them a match off. And they can come back. It doesn't matter. Uh, whatever. We all cheat. That's just the way it is. But that's right. We all cheat. That's just the way it is. We're, we're sinners. And if we were to weighed up on our efforts or goodness, the verdict is going to come back guilty. And the real source of the problem is our hearts. It comes back to the fact that, that we want to be in charge, that we, we can't stand to think or accept that God has the absolute right to rule me totally. But he does have that right. He, he made us. He sustains us day by day. Every good thing we have in our lives is his gift. He gives us all that we need, he gives us more than we need. Our entire future is in his hands. And in so many ways, God's wisdom and goodness is made manifest. And he's kind to us each and every day, even in our sadnesses. And what do we do? What do we do? We ignore him. We deny him. We defy him. We suppress the truth. We live as if we don't need him. Now, that looks different for each one of us. Uh, for some, that results in them shaking their puny fists at God and demanding him to prove his existence to them as if he hasn't done that already. For some, it's just that God plays no part in their life. He's just largely ignored and maybe it's a token kind of ascent. Yeah, I, yeah, I know you're there. But for some, it's hypocrisy and pretending. And God's grieved that people treat him like that. More than that, he's angry that people treat him like that and it is something to be afraid of. And the thief knows it. At the end of his days, he knows he'll have to reckon with God. And so he's afraid. But there's a third difference. One of them thought that he deserved better. The other one admitted he'd done wrong. What does he say? He says, we're receiving what we deserve for our actions. No more pretending. No more desire to save face. He had no more will to assert himself. He, he was laid open before God and he feared God and there was no way to hide his guilt. But fourth difference, not only did he admit to wrong and guilt, he accepted his punishment as deserves. He says we're here justly. That's the real test of humility before God. The penitent thief was humble. At, the, at least in the last minutes of his life, he took his suffering without complaint and though he feared God, he knew it was entirely fair. Fifth difference, one misunderstood Jesus, one understood Jesus completely. 
perfectly. He knew Jesus was completely innocent. Hear what he says? This man has done nothing wrong. And he also understood that sign above Jesus' head, that it was entirely correct, that Jesus is the king. God's king, this is the king. And so, sixth difference, the penitent thief, he does something. The only possible thing he can do to change the situation. He fears God, he admits wrong, he accepts justice, he acknowledges the goodness and power of Jesus. And so, what does he do? He pleads for help. He pleads for mercy. Jesus, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. Help me. And you know what? He found it. And that's the real important end difference between the two men. The seventh and most important difference. A difference which really exposes the heart of what Christianity is about. One died in his sins. The other went to paradise. How did Jesus respond to these two men with their vast differences? Well, to one, there's a fearful silence. Not a word recorded of Jesus to him. Maybe a final pitying look. But no promise, no hope. But to the second thief, Jesus says, Today, you will be with me in paradise. It's almost too good. Not even a delay. Today you'll be with me in the Father's presence. You'll be with me in God's home. You'll be with me in eternal joy, completely undeserved, completely free, no strings attached, forgiven, restored in paradise. Not that some great pleasure cruise in the sky where we can live out all our godless fantasies to do what we like with whom we like, as most people imagine heaven. It's, a, it's really a place of relationship and love of perfect relationship with other people who love Jesus too and and with Jesus himself. And friends, that's what Christianity at its heart is about, a relationship with the Lord of the universe, an eternal relationship that goes way beyond the grave, a new relationship, like I said before, based on forgiveness and mercy from his side and based on trust and repentance from our side. A relationship that starts, like with this thief, the day you turn to Jesus and admit your helplessness and your need for Jesus to save you. We need mercy if we're to ever be right with God. It's no use thinking, I can make it on my own without Jesus. It's no use falling back on my own self-righteousness, saying, oh, you know, I'll get there in the end. It'll never be enough. All, all I can do is follow the thief's example and say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the promise of Jesus, not just here but throughout Scripture, is that he forgives all those who call on him in faith and repentance, in trust and dependence. It, he, he says to us, today you'll be with me in paradise, to those who trust him. And he can offer that free forgiveness because of what he did on Good Friday, because of why he was there in the first place. You see, when the righteous, innocent Jesus, God's King, died on that cross, it wasn't for his own sins that he was dying. It was for ours. Now, we've just passed the bushfire season uh, and our bushfires here are amongst the fiercest in the world. They can be 100 kilometres across. 
they can be 100 metres high. They can move at 100 kilometres an hour. Uh, they're so bad because of the gum trees. They're full of eucalyptus oil, which uh, is highly flammable. And if you're caught in the path, you can't run, you can't hide. I was trapped in one once. Royal National Park. I was painfully reminded of that last week when I preached to another church down there uh, at Deer Park. And uh, on that occasion, we were lucky. A man came running into the room. He said, it's coming over the hill, run into the river. And we ran down to the river and a a boat came and picked us all up, uh, which was lucky. But what if there's no river there to jump into? What if there's no boat to pick you up? What do you do? How do you escape? How do you get out of a way of a fire like that? Well, the answer sounds crazy. There is a way out. What you do when you're trapped in the bush with that coming towards you is you light the biggest fire you can where you're standing right now. And you fan into flames and, you, and then uh, uh, when the bushfire comes, you stand right in the middle of where the, your fire burned. Okay, because it's gone now. And the bushfire rages all around you, but not where you're standing because there's nothing to burn anymore. The, the, it's all burned up already. The only place to be when the bushfire comes is where the fire has already been and God's wrath is coming like that raging fire. You can't run from it. You can't hide from it. The only safe place to be when God's wrath comes is where it has already been. And that's exactly what this passage is describing. The sacrifice of Jesus is where God's wrath has already been. That is where God has poured out his anger at our sin onto Jesus on the cross. And at that place... There's nothing left to burn. There's nothing left for God to be angry at with us anymore. There's no sin left unpunished. It's the only safe place to be. See, what we need is not to cope with our sin. It's not to manage our sin. It's not to tolerate sin. What we need is to be forgiven of our sin. Jesus forgives sins. He's the friend of sinners. Jesus looks at a woman who's caught in a sin and he says, Daughter, Your sins are forgiven. He looks at this paralyzed man who gets lowered by his friends to a roof in the middle of this ridiculous crowd. uh, And Jesus looks at him and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Uh, Let me be brutally honest with you for a moment. Our society, with all of its confusion about Christianity, pretends that the issues it has are academic ones. That there's not enough proof, there's not enough evidence That's not true. There's more than ample evidence for the reliability of scriptures, for the historicity of Jesus, for his death, for his resurrection even. If you want, we can sit down and I'll show you. Uh, We worked through it the other week with uh, Matt over here, our our resident theologian, who took us through it. He can take you through the notes again, uh, how you can know it's true. Uh, But for the majority of us, we don't have academic problems. We have hard hearts. Jesus says, I love you. And we say, I don't know if I need that. Why do I need him to love me? Jesus says, I tell you the truth. We go, ah, truth, it's all relative. Jesus says, I'll forgive your sin. We say, I'll figure it out myself someday. Jesus says, I know what lies beyond the grave. We say, well, I'll just go with my gut. Jesus says, come to me. We say, no, I'll go my own way. You know, I'll go with myself. It's just pride. That's all it is. It's pride. 
Some say Christianity is the easiest religion in the world because all you've got to do is believe. But it's also the hardest because you've got to be humble in order to believe. You've got to come to an end of your own efforts. You've got to admit that you can't make it, that you need someone else to save you, just like the thief did. You have to receive what Jesus has done. Everything else is self-righteousness, an attempt to earn merit, to earn your own salvation. Jesus is going to have none of it. He will have none of it. You don't need to be good enough for him. You need to be loved by him. You don't need to pay anyone back. You need to be forgiven. You don't need to straighten out your life. You need a new life. You don't need to find your way to God. He's come looking for you. (laughs) You don't need to die in your sins unforgiven. You can live. You don't need to go to hell. You can go to heaven. It comes down to one question, doesn't it? It comes down to one question. Do you trust him? Do you believe he's good for it? And if you don't, who is more trustworthy than Jesus? Think of anyone in history, anyone in your life, who is more selfless than Jesus? Truly, who has done anything for you that rises to the magnitude of what Jesus has done? Who loves you that much that they would die for you? I give you a promise today that all of your sin can be forgiven in Jesus Christ. All of your life can be redeemed in Jesus Christ. All of your days can be transformed by Jesus Christ. All of your relationships can be restored by Jesus Christ. All of your eternity can be with Jesus Christ. And so I call you today not to spirituality, not to morality, not to politics, not to philosophy, not to tradition and form. I call you to the King, to Jesus Christ who died for you and who rose again. He is here today. He is alive and well. He's handing out love and grace. And I beg you, to believe in him and to receive from him and to be his child. That's why he died at Easter for you on Good Friday and why he rose again. It really comes down to getting it straight with Jesus today. In the end, I can urge, I can beg, I can cajole, I can shove, I can plead, but it ultimately comes down to you and Jesus. He loves you so much. You need to respond to him with love and trust and belief. He he adores you. That's why he brought you here today. That's why he died for you. That's why it's Good Friday. He's the one you need. Jesus, the friend of sinners. I wonder, do you know him? Let's pray. Father, this is incredible love. We stand in awe at what you have done for us. We pray that you help us to be like that second thief, to not join in with the mockery of the world around us, Help us to fear you, know that our future is in your hands, to know what we're really like ourselves, that our sins are rotten, that we can't stand before you without forgiveness. But we thank you and we pray that we'll be like the thief in giving ourselves to Jesus, in trusting him, in calling to him for mercy. We thank you for your promise. 
of forgiveness and life, that you are good for it. And so we pray that each one of us here, and not only each one of us here, everyone we know in our lives, we pray that we might share it with them, that, that they and we might come to him and receive what he is offering. We thank you for your love and mercy. Help us if we're still pretending and we're still pushing you away, if we're still confused, to come and work it out with you, to know the truth. For those who've known you for countless years and who are pushing on in faith, give us perseverance, give us trust in you even when it's hard. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are struggling with the death of loved ones uh, this week and who are struggling with um, great sadnesses in their life. They might continue to look to you, the Lord of hope and comfort, the one who stands, the one who's given everything, the one who's lost a son that we might live. And we pray that we might receive from you everything that we need, physically, spiritually, mentally, but most of all, this life and forgiveness that you're offering. In his name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing.